Welcome to the Jerry T Podcast. That is me. I'm joined by Dave Shields, and I I was just joined by my cat, Ren, for a little bit, but he just hopped off when I started the podcast, unfortunately. He was not about it. Uh, and I, I guess I just blew your mind, Dave. We were talking about Wilds of Eldraine and how the entire set list has been previewed and everything, and just talking about what we're going to talk about before the show, which is why we're not doing like a top 10 list and talking about standard and whatnot. And then I told you that the cards are legal in Columbus this weekend. And uh, apparently you didn't know that. Not only did I not know that, I actually, somebody else made the same comment to me a few days ago and I went out of my way to Google it and look it up and came to the conclusion that that was wrong because the release date for the set is not until after the tournament. So I don't guess I don't really understand how anything works. Yeah, so things seemed to be a lot simpler, like way back in the day where it was like, all right, here's pre-release weekend. You can play in these events, but cards are not for sale. They don't go on sale until like the actual street release date. Uh, That's not the case anymore. Now, pre-release weekend, you can buy some amount of product and uh, just as soon as like the pre-release weekend happens or whatever, that stuff is just legal. And it has been this way for basically every single Star City event or whatever, uh, which is why I know this. And there's never any shortage of people whose minds are kind of blown by this because not only does it seem wrong, but it seems super strange considering like how the hell are we supposed to get these cards kind of thing. Um, but but yeah, the the actual release date is not actually the release date. Is basically the the big secret because you can actually buy product on the pre release weekend now. So, so and I'm behind here still. It was pre release weekend last weekend or is that this weekend? No, that's this weekend. Uh, you may notice that Star City tends to run their uh, SCG cons almost exclusively on pre release weekend. Oh, we've been over this. Okay, yes. Not on the cast, though, so we can go over it now if you want to. I, I mean, let him have it. Go for it. You blew my mind with this one, too, but So, yeah, things that you may notice but not really think of, right? Uh, I believe all the SCG cons, except for one, have coincided with the effective pre-release date for a set. Some, some of the sets, like, I don't know if Baldur's Gate had, like, an actual pre-release or whatever or not, or if it was just, like, an actual release, I don't know. But either way... All of these SGG con events have been when a new set is first released and is like first draftable or you can play like a pre-release with it or whatever. And yeah, that that does seem kind of strange because normally you want to give some people a little bit of time to, you know, acquire the cards and like put them in their decks, maybe even like test the new cards before they decide what decks they're going to play or whatever. So it's kind of weird that Star City's doing this, right? But also think about how Star City is getting everyone together under one roof and then is just running pre-release flights all weekend long. Kind of sketchy. Well, on on one hand, you might just think of it like, oh, that's that's brilliant. That's genius, right? But then you think about it a little bit more and it's like every time they travel to, you know, I don't know, like Baltimore or Pittsburgh or Columbus this weekend, it's like there are local stores in the area who... Uh, a, a lot of their revenue, if they are focused on magic specifically, is tied up in those, you know, four main set pre-release weekends. I'm not sure actually how how well the 
you know, if like Baldur's Gate had a pre-release weekend, for example, like how, how well that does for the store or whatever. But at least that used to be like a big part of the business model. So now I know that, you know, like this weekend, for example, like local stores in Columbus are going to be kind of hurting because SCG is going to take away a, a lot of their players. And it's not even just the Columbus area necessarily because SCG having these tournaments on pre-release weekend means that all the people that travel to the tournaments too are, even if they're playing like the modern main event or whatever, it means that they're not in their hometown LGS playing their local pre-release. So SCG is just kind of like cannibalizing uh, LGSs. And um, I'm not a huge fan of that. That that part is definitely pretty sketchy. And then it's also weird where it's like, oh, pre-release weekend, a lot of these stores are like capped on the amount of products that they can purchase, but it does not seem like that's the case with SCG. Yeah. There's so much sketchiness going on here. And as you explain this more, my mind is being further blown by this. I think the word cannibalize is the exact right word to describe what's happening here. Um, and it almost feels like an Amazon style beat up of the small business. Yeah, which is not great, uh, especially because the first time this kind of all fell into place where I was like thinking about this and then started reaching out to some people and like asking questions and then got uh, some some folks who run like prominent LGSs to to message me and stuff and talk to me about it was a week before Wizards did one of their like state of the state of the game announcements or whatever for like organized play and their their thing was like the Wizards announcement one of them was just like the we love our LGS campaign we're like do blah 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 and get like a soul ring promo or whatever and it's just like i'm literally hearing about like wizards is fully supporting scg running all of these pre-release events to cannibalize like a bunch of stores on the east coast while simultaneously running this campaign called we love our lgs is like that's that's not right you know it's not it's not great yep doesn't quite add up. And if some of your hypotheses around the amount of product that they're being given being disproportionately high are true, like that even adds more to this conspiracy. Well, the the funny thing is, is that if you want to know, you can just go on Melee. You can just look because they have all of their event history on there. Of how much packs were open. I'm with you. Yeah, so it's, just, it's like, actually look at, documented. Look at all of their flights. Look at uh, the amount of players that they had in all of those tournaments over the weekend. Like I can, I have a thing on my phone to see if I can find this. Where I like did some some quick maths, and this was a while ago. So while you're pulling that up, I'm just thinking out loud here. So the first pre-releases are Friday. Yep. The modern event we play is Saturday. Correct. Which means if there were hypothetically cards that we wanted to play, we would be like trying to rip through packs in like a 12-hour window. Correct. Yeah, just got to buy, buy some boosters. Um, it's it's going to be interesting because there are some cards in this set that are specifically good in modern. Uh, one of them is Not Dead After All, which is... Uh, the scam on Dying Malice, but like slight, slight upside compared to the other versions. Yep. And if you are playing scam, it it does behoove you to find those. It is a small upgrade, but is an upgrade nonetheless, right? And it's a common 
which is both good and bad. It means if you are just going to bust some packs, well, it's not going to be that unlikely that you hit it, but it's not like vendors are going to be there, you know, showing up with singles necessarily. I mean, I'm sure Star City Games is well stocked. Like if you want to pre-order stuff from them. Crazy. All right. I'm, I'm looking for this and I, oh, here we go. Okay. Uh, so SCG Con Philly was in February and I listed out the number of total entrants in each event. And it looks like there were nine events and it was like 92, 50, 65, 83, 51, 67, 107, 37, 43. And also some of these were two-headed giant. And those aren't small numbers. No. So that's uh, it's like 600-ish ballpark, uh, not accounting for like the 2HG aspect. So I don't know, say like seven, 700 uh, pre-release kits that they had to give away basically on that weekend. What What are the odds that like a local store is able to get that many. And also, you know, presumably they are saving some for their actual LGS back in Roanoke, right? Yeah. So they they get a lot, a lot, a lot. And then not all of those people would be playing in a pre-release in Philadelphia or whatever. But if if you are a store in that area and you are banking on that weekend to do like pretty good numbers for you, that it's going to be painful, you know? Yeah. It, and like when they ran the event that was limited, like a sealed deck event on pre-release weekend, like that, that kind of like plays in. And I actually remember thinking that was pretty cool. And again, at the time, I didn't realize kind of this cannibalization of the local game stores at the time. But like that makes a little bit more sense to me. Yeah. And like, Josh Joe played in that, you know? Yeah. And I, I was I was that in Baltimore, I think. Baltimore or Columbus, it was somewhere Middle East Coast because I remember it being like close enough that I thought once or twice about going because I I do really like the idea of like playing in a bigger limited event like relatively early on when a set is released. Yeah. Um, But and again, the spirit of that kind of like I I think that's cool. That's unique and different. But like running one of these constructed ones on pre-release weekend, like deliberately, not just like coincidentally or conveniently is like, I don't know. I don't know how that doesn't sit quite well with me. Well, the the funny thing about this is the the like, you know, 10K or whatever it is, is kind of the side of it. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely. Know? is. It, like those events traditionally lose money. But if you're able to run a bunch of pre-release events, that actually makes you money. So that is why, you know, for capitalism reasons, that is why it is structured this way. That makes sense. Like SCG has found a new business model that works for them. And I, I get that and understand that. But uh, yeah, the it, it's it's kind of being run under the guise of like, oh, look at like, here's this 10K thing. But it's like they, they don't actually care about that at all. You know, not at all. It's just like if they didn't run a big event like that, you'd have a lot of people just being like, why not? I don't understand, you know, but uh, there's also like the command zone and, and all that stuff going on, too. Yeah. So $60 entry fee for the 20K which is, you know, roughly 330-ish players that they would need to even just like break even on the prizes, not to mention convention center judges, et cetera. I don't expect there to be a ton more than that that show up for this. And if I remember the more recent ones that you and I have gone to, like I don't remember there being a ton of players more than that. So, Yeah, the um, numbers are pretty modest. And when you're not offering, uh, 
you know, coverage or like a player championship or invitational invites and stuff like that, then yeah, there's much less interest to get out and go to these things. But I don't know, you know, for, for us, there aren't a whole lot of options for high level play type of stuff. And especially now with making content and trying to go a little bit harder at it, I, I sort of feel obligated to go to these when I have the opportunity and SCG is kind of the only game in town, which when they're, you know, being subsidized by wizards, that, that sort of makes sense. Yeah. And like, you gotta be frank, I enjoy these events, right? I think they do a pretty good job of putting them on and it, they run a clean tournament most of the time. And like, I find that valuable, but, um, that's a very selfish perspective on this, right? Um, and if you, you tried to convince me that these were overall causing more harm than good for the game and the community, I I might believe you at this point. Yeah, it's it's hard to say because obviously the events being held do a lot of net good because there are however many people that show up for the you know the the modern thing that we're playing in the 10K whatever it is. And, but like that's that's like small stakes and certainly like small amount of fun comparable i think to the people just like jamming pre-release flights all weekend and people like playing commander and stuff like yeah like people people have missed this sort of event for so long and there are sparse offerings for them and so i do think that there is definitely like a lot of net fun being had in the convention center that weekend which is great it is awesome it's just good for magic and for humans in general but you know, in, in terms of like potentially like putting someone out of, out of business or whatever, it's just like, ah, I, I don't really think that that's super worth it, you know? Yeah, not cool. Um, and obviously, I, I again, I want to reemphasize, right? The events being like relatively clean and well run make them a lot more appealing for me to go to and fly to, especially given some of your more recent experiences of like, you know, putting an event on like this is not as easy as it might sound or seem. And, um, you know, Star City's been doing it for quite a while. Yeah, it is. It is super difficult, and Star City is very good at it. Yeah, you know, so I, I definitely don't want to like sell them short on that aspect of things. Like that, that has never been their issue. Yep. And it's but, what, but for me, it's what makes it even more appealing, right? Oh yeah, dude, we're we're old, you know. Yeah, make it easy for me, man. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> We're not like cramming like eight deep into a hotel room and like, you know, <laughs> staying up all night, like play testing or whatever. And like <laughs> ripping through booster packs, trying to find this like common fringe sideboard card that we think we need or whatever is like, nah, we, just, just make we it might easy. be. Who knows? I didn't I didn't know that. I haven't ruled that out yet. Yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's that's enough about that. Uh, we are not doing like preview season or doing like a top 10 list or whatever, because it's, it's not really standard season and maybe we'll start doing it when standard season rolls around. When Dave and I first got together and we we're talking about doing the podcast and stuff. One of the things that you mentioned is like when uh, a new set is coming out and like cards are getting previewed, you don't really like look at the cards all that much or like think about them, which I found kind of strange because it's like, so backwards compared to my approach and like the things that I like about magic. Like I, I just like having things to think about and I wasn't about to make you do a show that you didn't want to do, you know, or like something that you were maybe going to be bad at or whatever. I don't know. So 
We will see if we do this going forward. Uh, I gave you some hints here. I can be swindled. And I think this is something that historically I I have not done. But hey, maybe I will enjoy it. I I don't actually know. Right. I don't want to knock it too much until I try it. Um, Yeah. But I I think that if you wanted to, if you if you did enjoy it, you've had 20 years to try like looking at new cards and thinking about them. Oh, sure. And hey, at different points in my magic career and in my life, right, I consumed new cards and spoilers very differently, right? There were definitely like years and years where like every single second a new card was released, you know, diving into it was the first thing that I did. Uh, But at this point, it feels like there's new cards that come out like almost every day. So I find it pretty overwhelming. So I usually will wait for a more complete spoiler before really diving into things. Um, That's fair. Completely fair. But I also find it, I want to point out a little bit of irony here of it's not quite standard season, but I, I just looked it up. The world championship is in three, four weeks in Las Vegas and it's standard. Yeah. Which I find a little bit weird that like, we're both not interested in talking too much about standard right now, given the current state of competitive play and the world championship, which is arguably the biggest event of the year is standard and it's in four weeks. Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of putting on a compelling broadcast, I feel like you want to showcase formats that people are going to want to watch. Yeah. And you want stuff that people can like then emulate and try out for themselves. Like, Sure, you can play it on the arena ladder or whatever, and that is all fine and good, but I don't know. I, I'm sure that they have the numbers and metrics for that sort of engagement and like how well it's doing or not well it's doing and whatever. Like, I, if it were me, I think that this uh, RCQ season would be standard and then Worlds would be standard, and I think that that would be really interesting or since this RCQ season is modern, then some portion of world should be modern as well. Yeah. And I get the timing's a little funky with there just being a modern pro tour and then the modern RCQ season following makes some amount of sense and logic here and world's timing is like a little bit disjointed from this. Yeah. Um, but it does seem like a pretty big missed opportunity. And I will say that like watching, I do want to watch the world's coverage, especially given how good and how much I enjoyed the more recent pro tour coverage. But like to be really invested in it, I need to have like some idea of what's going on. So like I kind of am almost like looking. I I probably will be looking for excuses to play standard over the next three or four weeks. I don't know that I'll find any of them, but um, it's certainly something I'm going to explore. Maybe I fire up a challenge in Magic Online one weekend or something. Maybe who knows? Uh, it's it, it is entirely possible, but I'm I'm leaning in the negative. Yeah. I'm listen. I'm, I'm I'm grasping at straws here, right? I really, really want to engage with this. I just I don't know how. Yeah, no, they, like they just need to give you a reason, right? Like even if yeah. it was like an arena BTQ or open or whatever, like that would be enough. Oh, that's a good call. When is? I, oh, no, I actually. So I just qualified for that arena thing, and it's sealed deck. I'm pretty sure the next one is. Yep. So, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe they got to work on their scheduling and kind of chaining these things together and making it so they match a little bit. But all all in all in due time, I think, because they were off of standard for a while. Now they're focusing on it again. I imagine that it'll take some time before things completely get synced up. But like even as far as like scheduling this in the middle of an RCQ season is kind of weird. Like even if it was a relevant format, you know? Yeah still makes it strange like it i ideally it would be the thing that happens 
uh, like basically what the modern Pro Tour did leading into modern RCQ season, which is like it sets the stage. And people know that they're going to be playing in those RCQs. Therefore, a lot of people are going to want to be tuned into the Pro Tour, right? That would be logical. Yeah, that, that's what makes sense to me. Anyway, uh, no no standard talk, at least for a bit. Maybe leading up the Worlds, we'll, we'll do a little something, who knows. But uh, in terms of these cards are legal in modern, and that was not a thing that we talked about last week, which kind of makes sense since you didn't even know that was a thing. Um, but but I do. I've been here. Uh, for example, uh, the when the Lord of the Rings set came out, Bowmaster and One Ring were like legal in those events, you know, and people were kind of like scrambling to get them. Yeah. Right. So this this has just been a thing. And like when uh, Change the Equation came out, uh, folks were trying to get that for their creativity decks and stuff. So yeah, this this is this has been the norm. But uh, do you remember seeing anything uh, in the set that you liked for modern? I remember the minor scam upgrade, which just seems like very uninteresting and logical and not even worth a discussion. Yeah, just like you you do it and that's the end, right? Yeah, there's just it, it's a marginal upgrade. It probably doesn't matter or make a difference most of the time, but like there's no reason not to. Um, yep. I don't recall anything else jumping out at me and I'm quickly skimming through and scrolling through the spoiler and not ringing any bells, but... Um, okay, I got a card for you. Give it to me. It is an uncommon. It is called Up the Beanstalk. Are you familiar? I'm going to read it anyway. Please. Okay. It is an enchantment. It costs 1G. When this enters the battlefield and whenever you cast a spell with mana value 5 or greater, draw a card. Oh, I do know this card. I do know this card. Um, Super interesting. I saw some people talking about this card in Legacy even. Yeah, not surprising because, I mean, you, you get Force of Will there, but yep. most of the stuff that is playable alongside this is also playable in Modern. Yep. We're solituding. We're, we're elementaling. Interesting. So wh- where do you see this? What home? Uh, it just has to be a new deck, pretty much. I mean, you can maybe make it look kind of similar to like Four Color or something along those lines. Um. You could also like double up on this with something like Bring to Light if you wanted to play this in like the Scape Shift deck with like more pitchy stuff. I don't know. So it can trips when you play it, and then each time we play a five drop, we draw again. Five or greater, yeah. All right. So that means we want to be like Fury, Solitude. Interesting. Uh Allosaurus Rider is is another one. Give it to me. Oh, that's the Gristle Brands Neoform combo card. Okay. It's like the XX Dino. You pitch two green cards to cast it. A lot of nonsense. So I don't know if there's something there, like in, in that kind of like combo regard or whatever, but like basically this, uh, just at, at bare minimum, like cycling off of itself seems incredibly generous, right? Yeah. Normally it- you'd see like an engine sort of card uh, like this just be kind of useless until you did a thing with it. But it's like you get to like play this, draw a card, and then just like start pitching stuff. If you ever like double up on these, you can go kind of bananas. It's it's like Risen Reef, but uh certainly not as vulnerable to a lot of stuff, especially in like Bow Bowmaster World. Yeah. It's interesting. 
it, it, it's bringing bringing up other thoughts of you and I had a couple of conversations about bringing back some glimpse of tomorrow decks too with some of the elementals, and obviously you can't do this and that at the same time, right? But no, um, I mean that, honestly, that could be like a, a sideboard plan or something, you know? Yeah. It's like my opponent has too many chalices and I can't deal or whatever. I don't know. Or, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you just like want to cascade into a bunch of these things. You could just do that too. <laughs> I mean, that's a little bold. Look, man, I used to cascade into spreading seas. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, that's it. I think that's the big one. Uh, there's there's some other stuff that's like, uh, maybe this is like kind of small or whatever. Inevitably, something always kind of like squeezes in somewhere and it's like, oh yeah, that's that's like kind of clever and cute. Um, didn't, didn't really think of it in that way, but it's normally in like a tier two or tier three deck. And there's some stuff in the set that is like food creature or combo related or whatever. So not really my thing. Yeah. Probably not any big game changers, but might eat those words. We'll see. Yeah, it is. It is weird. Cause I, you know, was <laughs> testing basically since last week off and on. And then sit down to do this podcast and be prepared and it's like oh yeah i should probably talk about how these cards are illegal and then i was like oh yeah i should probably look to see if i want to play with any of these cards because <laughs> <laughs> like yeah i just can't right now you know but probably should have been thinking about that yeah because what if it was like oh yeah obviously i just want to do like up the beanstalk stuff and then why the hell was i just jamming leagues with creativity you were jamming leagues with creativity tell me more uh, I mean, that's it. I had a very brisk chat with uh, a fellow by the name of Bob and Cheese in, in North Carolina. And he brought up the fact that it's basically impossible to 5-0 league. And I was like, yeah, but like, you just 4-1 every time, right? And he's like, yes, every time. And that has been my experience playing creativity. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's funny that we both just have, like have the same experience in leagues, but also that even after that tournament, it just it keeps going. I just 4-1 every time. And it's like, man, if I was a person who just looked at numbers and nothing else, I would be in trouble. Well, maybe. 80% is pretty freaking good. Well, right, but then it's all, all my decks are tied, you know? Oh, sure. <laughs> There's nothing differentiating them. But they're all positive, at least. Yeah, but again, like, it doesn't, doesn't tell you anything, especially when it's like, I don't know, half my opponents are playing mono black offers or whatever. It's just like, well, this isn't very real testing. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. How did it feel? Uh, yeah, that is the more uh, relevant question, I suppose. Um, I think that had I started playing Creativity six months ago, I, I would have just been a mini you. And I would have been like all about the deck because whatever four color inclinations I had, I likely would have just transferred that over to creativity because I think that there was a very long period of time where both decks were doing similar things and then creativity just was a little bit more powerful, maybe even a little bit more versatile and had a better end game and also kind of like won the heads up in the mirror, just ha having uh, a better go big plan or whatever. But I wasn't there. Instead, I was just sort of mindlessly playing four-color, oblivious to all the fun that Archon of Cruelty gamers were having. 
and killing them with a spoon. What's up? Killing them with a spoon in your yeah. four color deck. Oh, I mean that don't is, want to end things too quick. That is my wheelhouse. Uh now I think things are a lot different. Uh one ring made things a little bit worse, and then the format seems to have sped up by quite a bit with Scam still being very, very good. Murktide making a comeback, uh, also looking pretty, pretty good. And this deck still being fine against those decks on paper, but just in general, I don't want to go like, you know, fetch shock, fetch shock, fetch shock every game. It's just, it's not great. It's not a good place to be. It is a painful mana base. It is. And I've just, I've never had to do that, you know? Five colors, all mountains is a tough, tall order. It is. And the other big problem with the deck is that Archon of Cruelty just just doesn't feel like lights out against very many people. You know, a big part of the deck is like, aha, you've tapped out. I will now creativity for one. And now it just seems like people effortlessly just plow through that, you know? Yep. Unholy eat that thing, moving on. Yeah, no, no big deal. So... That aspect is certainly not great too. Uh, and then there are things where it's like Bone Master is like kind of annoying. It's it's not a huge deal in a lot of instances, but is a thing that you have to kind of like carefully plan around in a lot of instances. So that adds like another wrinkle to things. You got uh, Blood Moon being very much in vogue right now, and that's not <laughs> the funnest card to play against either. Again, a thing that you can prepare for, but not great. And just overall, it's like, oh, why am I, why am I doing this? Because I, I played four color last weekend, and I was like, oh, it just seems like creativity would, would be better. And and now I think I'm ready to recant that. All right, bold. Are we back to four color then? I are we going full circle? I don't think so because four color still had issues, and I still have a lot of ideas for that deck too, but. Uh, in terms of killing them with a spoon, but also trying to make things uh, easier for us in our old age. And also, I'm I'm just like not as fast as I used to be. I think I will get back to that point if I continue playing like every week. But um, uh, my brain and my hands just are not moving as fast as they used to, you know? So the clock is a real threat and a big issue. So... Four color would need something. I would need a better way of of closing the door that wasn't just like, oh, I'm just gonna like shoehorn this in because I feel like I need it. It would have to be a thing that like actually does fit and work well with the deck, and I'm not sure what that is. Fair. So uh four color still has some problems too. But uh I don't know, like create creativity specifics. Like where where are you with that deck? So I'm not in a totally different place, I think. I feel like it's a deck that you are allowed to play, but don't, yes. not anywhere close to one that you should play. Um, and I think the reason that I still gravitate towards it is just the amount of reps I have with it is so much greater than anything else at this point that a different I would have to have a good reason to move away from it, um, which I've been searching for. But on the creativity list specifically, I still have like reasonably similar thoughts that we did after the team event and the pro tour, um, which is that celestial purge is very strong. That really is a game changer for the scam matchup, which I don't think is great by any stretch, but I think it's good enough. Um, it's 
coin flippy and I think maybe even slightly in our favor. Um, on, on paper, you're a slight favorite, I think. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's kind of how the games play out. And they tend to be fairly interactive. And you have answers to pretty much all of their draws, but they have to line up. So sometimes they have rock and you have scissors and sometimes they have rock and you have paper. Um, and that's just kind of how it goes. Um, but Teferi is the card that I still struggle with the most. And I think that's a lot of the conversations that you and I had of, I feel like if there's a direction to move the list in and you're going to stick with a leyline binding version, which I very much believe in, then I feel like Teferi is the card that's kind of like not performed well for me historically or more recently. And Dude, like, I, I, I cut them and I haven't missed them. Yeah, it's super interesting. I think I told you this at the team event. I found myself like against a Rhino's opponent, like boarding them down, boarding some of them out, which is like, yo, if I'm boarding this out against the Cascade deck, like what am I doing? Yeah. Um, and the problem is like they can just like miss a little dispute that thing. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, it is a disaster. So um, I think that's how you get some wiggle room. Um, I found myself in the interest of trying to keep up with the faster pace of the format, gravitating back towards Persist, um, which is a card that like when you need all your cards to do something and you need more consistency is like not necessarily where you want to be. But like sometimes it's a mulligan and sometimes you get to put an Archon in play for two mana. So it adds a little bit of variance to things, but I think that might be something that is where you want to be given where the format's at right now. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I like the idea of Persist, and then in practice, it has been sort of a disaster. I feel like playing three Archons and no Persist is kind of silly because you will just run out of win conditions against things like Four Color like pretty easily. And then if you even if you do four Archons but no Persist, you run into the instances where like, well, now you're drawing that Archon a lot more, right? And there are a few different ways to... Uh, looted away and whatnot, which is fine. But hey, like, wouldn't it be nice if we just played like one copy of Persist? And I, I've been pretty happy with that. But then the Persist plan is so good against things like Merktide, for example, that I I do want to just be trying to play like a second copy. And because Archon is in a lot of instances not enough or like not powerful enough, doesn't do enough. I wanted to play more discard outlets like Bitter Reunion, which also gives you the haste aspect, which is super powerful. And in practice so far, granted, fairly small sample size, that stuff has just not come together for me. Like playing two Reunion, two Persist, and like two Prismari commands alongside the Fables, just it, the problem has more so been like not drawing the Archon naturally, I guess, more than anything. And I don't think I want to go up to like a fifth target or whatever, but maybe you have to. I don't know. Yeah, I, I've flirted with fifth targets at different points or even six. And it, I found it to make your decision making so much more difficult because you can't predict or anticipate what your creativities are going to hit. And the long and short of that is like, I'm just too old for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, makes it oh. too complicated. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking at... Uh, one of the more recent matchup tables I found, which is very small sample size. This is 16 games, but uh, creativity went 30% against Rakdos. Whoa. That is not a high number. Now, do you think that the blue-red creativity list that's been poking around Magic Online is included in that? No, this is specifically labeled five-color. Okay. 
that's not a good number. It's not. It's. I mean, sixteen matches, right? Sure. So, not yeah. huge. Yeah, and I, I, I think I told this to you. Like, it, the all the scam players that I have played against in some of these events more recently, like none of them want. All of them told me afterwards they don't want to play against creativity, right? But I was like, well, that's funny because I don't really want to play against scam either, right? So, um, I, it, I, I'd be hard pressed to be convinced the matchup is anything but really close. Um. Well, it's it's funny because I'm sure in a lot of games they lose. They feel like they got scammed. Yeah. And, and they're just like, oh, I hate this feeling. This sucks, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, But I, like I said, I, I think the, the other deck that the other... So I played a good amount of games with Rhinos over the last two or three weeks. That, that deck's just like not my speed. Um, It's really good. I just, I don't know what it is that I don't find it interesting enough or engaging enough for me personally that just not where I want to be, but I think it's very strong and a totally reasonable choice. Um, and then Merktide's the only other deck that I've have a reasonable number of reps with over the last six months. Um, and I still haven't quite been able to put my thumb on like what combination of things has led to the resurgence of it. Is it some combination of preordain being really strong or preordain getting people really hyped and excited and reminding people of Merktide or the format getting a lot faster and that like playing into kind of this. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think preordain brought with it also some good innovations to the archetype where now people are like main decking some copies of subtlety, which is the big one that I basically want to highlight where that is maybe one of the stronger cards against scam. Yeah. And also just has like a lot of good side benefits against things like four color and amulet and uh, like occasionally Tron, you know, depending on their draw and stuff. So I don't know if it was specifically like preordained that necessitated that where it's like, well, we're spending more time like cantripping and or now we are cantripping enough that we really get to chain these expressive iterations together. So we just have more cards to work with so we can afford more pitch spells or what. But uh, adding adding subtlety to the deck is kind of the reason why I'm even considering it less so preordain. Reasonable. And I mean, obviously the Bowmaster still is as much of a problem as it's ever been. Um, but it's kind of weird, like Ragavan and Counterspell, I go back and forth with like how well positioned those cards are in the format. And they're like still incredibly polarizing. Um, there's matchups where they're great and there's matchups where they're they're not. And that's usually like the indicator for me that I use personally of like when that might be a deck I want to move back in that direction is when those cards seem well positioned. And like I said, right now, I'm not really sure that that's true. So I'm, I'm having a hard time kind of figuring this one out. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not sure that Omnath is well positioned. I'm not sure that uh, <laughs> Archon of Cruelty is well positioned. And I'm certainly not sure about Counterspell too. My current Merc title list has three copies, which... I've also seen some other people playing three copies, so I don't feel alone, which is kind of good. You know, sometimes you just need to see like one other person to give you the confidence where you're like, all right, you know, like I'm not being completely silly or whatever, but three Sylvan scryings, man. Yeah, exactly. You know, and now just everyone in the world has uh, uh, a ticket to just shave a Sylvan scrying from their deck whenever they want to. Yep. Or 61 cards. Yeah, I've I've maybe seen less of that, but I'm also like not pile shuffling my opponent's decks. So who knows? Maybe yeah. I'm just getting 61 all the time. 
or maybe your creativity opponents only have 56. That, that is also true. Like another <laughs> another uh, minor danger of not pile shuffling your opponents, I suppose. But still not going to do it. Uh, in terms of Ragavan and uh, to a lesser extent Counterspell, but like Ragavan, I've seen some lists that are playing like two and sideboarding two copies. Or I, I've seen fewer that are playing three and sideboarding the other copy. How do you feel about that? Hey. It's interesting uh, because my experience is I board out Ragavan a disproportionately high amount, like a lot of rounds. So it's like, hey, maybe this card shouldn't be in my deck to begin with. Um, but I'll tell you as on the other side of things, playing a deck that has a bunch of Lightning Bolts and a bunch of Renin Sixes, which in theory is exactly what you don't want Ragavan against. I'm still terrified of that card. Yeah, they still connect against you, man. It sucks, man. Every time it happens, it feels like a scam. Yeah. You're like, what What the hell? I put like, you know, eight cards and I got, you know, in some instances, like binding counts too, right? Yeah. And I told you, there's no worse feeling than when I'm on the play and they play Ragavan on turn one and I just don't have the Renin Six. And I'm just like, what the hell, man? This is it's not fine. how this is supposed to work. It's fine. They have the subtlety anyway. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I don't think it's crazy. I think... The, the the more interesting question would be like, do you feel like four, if you're not going to main deck all four, does it have to go into the sideboard or can we free up some extra slots? It's weird. I like, I think that you're supposed to, but also everyone should have sideboard cards against it. You know, like a lot of decks like Tron and Dismember or Tron and Amulet will board in Dismember against you and stuff like that. So it, it does feel like they are less good in the post-board games than they are in game one, but the card is still so powerful, and I feel like it is one of the main draws to playing red in the first place, you know? Like, you have you have heat and you have iteration. Those are both very good, very solid glue cards, but if you're just like, well, should we, you know, cut Ragavan or only play two copies or whatever, just like, it, it starts making me wonder if maybe we should be playing... I don't know, something like Shadow or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, or I think that's actually like how we would logically get to blue-black. Yeah, probably. Right. But I, I, I don't know. I think it is worth it. I, I recognize that they are probably less effective as sideboard cards than as main deck cards. And realistically, what I want to do is just try and figure out ways to make the main deck ones good. Yeah, so I guess I'm less surprised to see people playing less than four Ragavan and more surprised to see all of the remainders going in the sideboard. Yeah, I, I think so too, but I don't know. How do, how do you feel about this? Like, in in mirror matches, like, you've you've played some amount of Merc Tide, right? Yeah, pretty good amount. So in mirror matches, there's the same sort of early dance in any like Ragavan v Lightning Bolt matchup, right? Where you're just trying to stop your opponent from gaining any sort of traction, and then that sort of stumbles into like the mid-game where maybe you're playing draw go, maybe you're chaining together cantrips, occasionally throwing a threat out to get killed or countered or whatever. And then eventually the big turns start happening where someone tries to resolve a Murktide or resolve an expressive iteration or whatever, right? Is that yeah. kind of like match your experience with it too? Yeah, the three different phases of how things go out and assuming that 
you know, we get to some amount of parity in those earlier stages. Yes. So in the first few turns, spell pierce can be pretty good, but it can also be taxing on you sometimes where you don't feel like you necessarily have the luxury of uh, keeping mana open for it because like what is the most threatening thing that they can do? Like maybe this isn't a good turn for them to necessarily cast an iteration or whatever. So it's maybe like you're tagging a cantrip or something, right? And inevitably you end up in these scenarios where your opponent has like four mana and they're playing an iteration and you have a spell pierce in hand or something. Or they're casting like uh, a Murktide with, you know, mana open to uh, be able to like counterspell it. Or you're like, you're, you're casting Murktide, your opponent has like counterspell and mana open to pay for your, your spell pierce or whatever, right? So one of the things that ticked up in popularity, uh, and granted, this was more so at the height of Ledger Shredder than anything else, but was like an uptick in Spell Snare. And I sort of like that as an idea, both because Murktide is getting more popular and also because Spell Snare is one of the cleanest answers to Bowmaster. And it's also not completely dead against Scam because it still hits Dothy, which is completely fine and reasonable of a card and can protect your Murktide against Terminate, which is their only way to directly kill it. You're not going to have to twist my arm to get me to put a Spell Snare or two in my deck ever. Okay. Um, I think historically a card that's been criminally underplayed in a bunch, in a wide variety of formats and having a card that's both a cheap counter in these faster games in the early turns, as well as can be live in these later games, I think is really important. Yeah, I basically think that it stops two of the most important cards, which, at least in game one, is Iteration and Counterspell. And I tend to shave on Counterspell, at least, in the post-board games. I'm not sure whether or not that is a thing that, like, literally everyone else does, but, like, given that I've played against people who, against my four-color deck, have sided out Counterspell, which I don't think is right. Like, I, I feel like people might be likely to do that just in general, I guess. Yeah, I would not expect the average person to come to those conclusions, but um, I don't think it's like crazy or anything like that. Okay. But I would definitely not put my random Murktide opponent in the dark in the mirror on shaving counter spells. Okay. What would you do? Like, do you you often shave them or no? Uh, Yes, yes. And I think especially on the draw, it's a totally reasonable thing to do. And I think that like these matchups that we're describing where like you have this delicate dance in the early turns that like if you don't win or survive, like you can very easily lose the game. Um, But then if more often than not, those early turns end up breaking at parity, then the games end up dragging on for a really long time. Yeah, agreed. Which is why I kind of like the idea of like getting some cheaper cards that still like do stuff in the later game like Spell Snare. Yeah, I I mostly want to ensure that I get out of stage one because I I would hope that the configuration of my deck will be able to carry me in stage three, like whatever that entails. So if if that means, you know, I mean, I, I guess like both players have some amount of subtleties now, most likely. So that makes like resolving a Murktide uh, a little less concrete than it used to be, you know? But, yeah. you know, like that that's a good way to get an edge in that scenario. Just having more velocity in general is a strong starting point. 
And then uh, the random brazen bar you see hiding out in like main decks and sideboards sometime, like that's a good way to get rid of like a resolve Merc Tide too for at least a little bit. So, yeah, it all lines up. I think Ledger Shredder is one of the more interesting, like and more contentious cards that people have gone back and forth on quite a bit. And obviously, when you have the Shredder with the Bobble, it's fantastic, but um, it's a card historically I've liked a lot more at blocking. And I don't really know that that's a place where you want to be right now. So I don't know how many you were playing with or where you, how you feel about that card. I think the first copy is very, very good. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if I ended up playing a second. I don't think that I would go much heavier than that necessarily. But now there's there's also some weirdness in these lists where you have to start juggling like your blue card count also. Yep. And when shredder was first popularized it was like well yeah maybe we shave on like a drc or something which i think is completely reasonable and defensible and in today's world maybe that involves shaving just a ragavan completely i don't know but you know if you're in the market for more blue cards and it's like ah how do i get more blue cards in here well it's like cut some of your red threats for blue ones and shredders there you know still does yeah and then where are we at on consider and preordained splits so I, I started playing Murktide today, actually, and had been thinking about it for a couple of days when I was like waffling on creativity and was like, well, there are a few more things that I want to try, a couple more configurations I want to get out of my system and kind of already felt like I knew where it was going to end up and sort of played out that way. So I was ready to go with a Murktide deck list that I had already thought about a little bit and absolutely want to start with playing with preordain first because that is basically what everyone is doing right now is maxing on preordain and then playing like two or three considers four bobbles four iterations and a lot of the lists have 17 lands some of them have 18 when people previously played 19 i usually played 20 uh so i have 18 right now and i have six cantrips i have four and two okay i think that's I don't know if that's that's where I'm going to end up. I mean, Preordain does a lot to add consistency to the deck in that if games go kind of long and you want to be chaining iterations, well, you're getting a lot more looks at it. And it, it just makes the deck feel a lot more kind of like cohesive and consistent uh, at, at playing longer games than it did before. And it already wasn't like that bad at it, you know? But now it's just like, oh, I got I got a nice little engine going, you know? So Yeah, yeah I, I think the longevity it gives the deck, and like again, that's kind of somewhat in line with the spell snare conversation as well, of like Murktide being a deck where if games are going to be decided in the first three or four turns, you have a ton of cheap cards. So that's like a pretty good place to be. But then it also has a surprising amount of ability to win a game that goes eight or ten turns. Right. Um, so I, I think the spirit of that is um, there's not a ton of other decks in the format that can say the same things. Yeah, agreed. And the problems with with preordain definitely do exist, though. Where this is like, well, I want to like play a threat and I want to hold open counterspell, and I have this preordain in my hands, but now my opponent didn't play anything, or they're going to play something on my turn or whatever. And you like don't you don't have a good window to actually use your preordain and you just end up having unspent mana, which with consider you never really had those issues. And yeah. that is definitely felt. Uh I, I will say that maybe it is not that big of a deal, but 
if you see me doing something like four consider three preordained, don't be surprised, you know? Yep. And I think, yeah, obviously balancing the sorcery instant split in general for your delirium helps too. But um, I think if counterspell is a card that you're starting to trend away from and don't even have four of in your deck, that like that is like a few more notches in the preordained camp. Yeah, I sort of like just having these scenarios come up where you can aggressively tap out even with counterspell in hand and just be like jamming iteration or preordain when you need to in order to ensure you hit your land drops and because the deck has more pitch counter magic now. Like yeah. I've I've two subtlety, one force negation, and then one more copy of each in the sideboard. And then we'll play at least one Fury, but maybe two in the board as well. And we'll probably sideboard out counterspell against a decent amount of people. And then it's just like, well, how, how much does preordain being a sorcery actually hurt me in those instances? It's like very, very little. Yep. So with extra cantrips and being able to see a few more cards, are there, are you playing more situational one ofs? I, I heard one force of negation and that makes some sense to me. Are there other one ofs that you're considering or do you think that's a little bit of a trap? I, I think like the, the good cards are good for the most part, like um, unless you decide that you want to play like a brazen borrower or whatever. I mean, I, I have one Odawara in my list, which especially when you're doing like 17 lands, like you want three islands to go with your uh, cyborg blood moons and everything. Right. And then you're playing the Odawara too. That only leaves you with 13 red sources on turn one. Like that's, that's not enough. So I'm, I might cut the Odawara actually and just play another fetch land or something. But okay. aside from that, I could see a Miser's Blood Moon. I think that that's a pretty reasonable card to have main deck because there are enough decks that exist that, that are weak to it. Obviously, it's not a card that you want to like find in the mirror or whatever. And like ideally, the weirdo random cards would maybe be like pitchable cards also. But I don't know. I, th- I think that's about it. Like that's the most like haymakery. Uh, fun of one of style of card you could play outside of maybe playing a brazen borrower but the the two subtlety one force negation was me just like copying everyone else's list mostly and also just feeling like it was kind of correct yeah it makes a lot of sense um so definitely appealing a lot lot going well for it um and if i i, I still haven't quite figured out how much four color to expect i don't know i'm trying to think of reasons why you might not want to play Murktide, and I don't know exactly how you feel about that matchup in the post one ring era. I would assume you like it from the four color side, but it, is it as bad as it was in the Yorian days? Uh, no, because like those days I had Cavern of Souls, and Murktide was kind of public enemy number one, so I had things like Supreme Verdict and. Uh, a lot, a lot of the four color decks just like don't have that anymore. Uh, there is a little bit more tension where they have stuff like halflings, so maybe you want to keep in like more spot removal than you'd really be comfortable with. But other than that, I feel like the four color decks now are just like really weak to to counter magic in general, and subtlety is a very good answer to solitude, also. Yeah, so it seems really well positioned, um, which is a crazy statement to come out of my mouth given Bowmaster and some of the conversations we had just three or four weeks ago but um it does make sense yeah the the, the pitch counter spells kind of change things preordain gives it a little bit more staying power and then 
you you have to address the bowmaster problem, which is maybe something like spell snare or just shaving on ragavans in general. I don't I don't know how exactly that's going to shake out, but we'll see. Yeah, and as usual with Merktide, right? You you have a really good sideboard, right? You get a lot of different options, and um, that's usually the more fun part of playing Merktide for me is that those last you know handful of sideboard slots can really be tweaked and tuned to you know beat whatever matchup that you particularly want to target. You just have to figure out what that is. Yeah, sideboard is a lot of kind of like one and two ofs, but a lot of it is sort of extensions of what I already have main deck, yep. you know, or it's like very specific things where it's like, yes, I want some amount of disruption for big mana decks and I want some amount of engineered explosives for like rhinos and to a lesser degree like hammer and Urza Saga tokens and stuff. But then the rest is just like, Oh, what kind of like counter spells do we want in this exact scenario or whatever or removal spells? So, yeah, yeah, like all, all the cards are really good. Uh, all the cards are like one and two mana, you know. So you get to take a lot of game actions, play a lot of magic, and hopefully come out on top. I don't know if that's necessarily going to work out. Like some amount of this is like we're looking at these different creativity lists, right? I don't know if you remember what I said about the blue red creativity list, where it feels really good, but I think it's really bad. Yep. And that had a lot to do with it playing preordain and iteration as well, where it's like, oh, this is just like buttery smooth and then you just lose every game. And I hope that that is not the case with Merktide. I mean, you'll probably go four and one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I, I do agree with that, <laughs> but that's not very helpful in the context of like, two-day tournament yeah that's fair that's fair it's not like we have a three-day day Day two of this one actually is five rounds i think uh yeah i actually don't know the structure for these things anymore i don't know if it's the same as the team one it's certainly not cut to top six or whatever it's like is it top 12 they historically have been top 12 the last one i went to was i don't know if this one has changed things but i will promise you it's not a three-round day two like your previous experience yeah that one was a little bit more weird uh, especially because uh, it, it was Swiss plus one, but you know. Yeah. So fun story, how I originally landed on creativity probably a year ago now at this point, I flew to an SCG with my brother and was planning on playing Merktide. We got there in time to play in like an LCQ for buys the next day. I played Merktide in it, got absolutely slaughtered by four color. This is like peak four color days. And we went out to dinner and he talked me into Audible Link to Creativity. Is is this a thing that your brother is particularly adept at doing? Um, I would say he doesn't do it often, but his success rate when he attempts to is high. Well, yeah, probably because he's picking his spots, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like he had been playing Creativity for quite some time at this point and... Um, he went undefeated in the Swiss in that event. And like, that was definitely like the, the event and probably the peak of when you, that was the deck you were supposed to be playing. That's like, uh, Oh wow. <laughs> Brian, yeah. Brian got the, the coveted trophy. Yeah. Well, he did not win the tournament, but undefeated in the Swiss and then lost in the, well, Oh, I, I was yeah. thinking about the Friday tournament. It's like the five rounds. If you oh, five sure. or you get buys. Yeah. No, I don't remember. I'm, I don't remember if he lost in that or I talked him into going out to dinner. It, it was, it, 
I certainly attempted to talk him into going out to dinner. <laughs> he, he was en route to getting a trophy. You're like, do you, don't you want some tacos or whatever? Yeah. He's like, yeah. Yeah. I was probably like, you're just going to go four and one. So like, let's just save some time. And then what did he, he win like 10 matches or something in the Swiss? Yeah, probably some, uh, well, let's see. It's eight and five, 13 rounds. Yeah, something 10 or 11 matches in the, in the Swiss. And then he lost to Scam in the top eight. Dude, that's like two trophies. Yeah. That's, Might that's be. a lot. Yeah. It's a big game. All right. Yeah. So I'm looking at the page. It's a 20K. Day one, eight rounds. Day two, five rounds. Top 12 single elimination playoff where the top four ranked players after the Swiss receive a bye. I have. No idea what that means as far as like what record makes the cutoff. So yeah, it's hard because at least the two or three of these that I've attended, the variance in the number of players they get is pretty significant. So there's like not a lot of good data points on like what this actually means. Yeah. But um, I I would say in general, I, I love the spirit of the cut to top 12 incentivizing people to play out the last few rounds if they are in these higher seeds i think that like anything that incentivizes people to play magic and not take draws intentionally is is always very good but not having clean breaks can lead to some weird and awkward situations right so depending on the number of players in the event might break clean might not that can get weird yeah i mean swiss was not designed with like this sort of structure, I don't think. And it just like most of the time it works out, but sometimes it doesn't. And it can be really hard to tell what the math is and stuff, which is, I don't know, maybe that's not all bad, but I, I do think that this is good. I agree with you to like give people a reason to play. It's not like make them play, which would also be fine, honestly, but like give them a reason to like want to play. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And like, listen, I would love to see some like amount of experimentation where it's going to take a while to get enough data on these things to make them relevant. But like, you know, is cutting to 12 with four people getting a buy or cutting to 10 with two or a different variation of this, the better way? I don't know. But any amount of exploration and experimentation with different structures, I think should be pretty celebrated. And then we should adjust as we learn more. Yeah, I think it's cool. Uh, I just think it's weird, but that's kind of like the boomer mentality of like we've been cutting to top eight for so long you know like why yeah why are we doing this now but whatever well listen jerry we were talking about pre-release cards and them being legal for the set if we want to go really far back you used to have to wait 30 days after the set was released before you could play with the cards yeah that's true too which the release date was usually a week or two after the pre-release so you're talking six weeks um, and there was usually a, a four week window for them to even come out on magic online. So, um, things have evolved quite a bit in a positive direction, I think with a lot of that, but I think for people that have been around a while, like you and I, it's going to still feel weird. Yeah. It, it was bad when, I don't know, like the, one of the worlds, for example, was like the last, last week of standard and, uh, the, the new set had already like completely been previewed and everything. And uh, maybe it was honestly even happening on pre-release weekend or something. I don't remember, but if nothing else, the pre-release was like the very next weekend. And it was just like, people could not have cared less, right? Because they, they just want to play with the new stuff. So then to hold a tournament like this on pre-release weekend, well, you know, we kind of talked about why maybe that is not the best idea and maybe not what you should be doing or whatever, but we're here, right? And if uh, 
you know, maybe it's not modern, but like eventually these tournaments are going to be standard, right? And if it was a standard event and these new cards like across the hall, people are literally playing with them, but you can't put them in your deck, like that would feel so bad. So I do like this. I just think yeah. that it does uh, create some difficulties too, where it's like, you know, no one has any idea which what is good, which is kind of awesome, honestly. But then it's like, how, how do I get cards? I just need like four of a common. Like, yeah. how, how tough is that actually going to be? Who knows? And like, I, I think holding some more eternal format style tournaments on pre-release weekend is like somewhat acceptable. And there might be some awkward speed bumps with getting cards. And I think that's fine. Less than ideal, but OK. I, I think having a standard event on this weekend would be like pretty unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, unless they they get it set up a lot better where it's like we have multiple copies of the set, you know, for sale on site if you want it. Yeah, if they made it, if they found a way to make it available and there were pre-orders and they found ways to guarantee stock. But like, I don't know how you would ever do that. I mean, I I guess (laughs) if we want to put our tinfoil hats back on, like maybe they do have the fix and they do have the means to, you know, guarantee some amount of availability but yeah i mean i I think that they have the cards uh at least in roanoke you know it's just whether or not it's worth it for them to actually like bring everything with them yeah and that is generally the thing that i think holds this sort of thing back but i don't know maybe maybe we just won't ever have standard on these weekends which would be fine and the stories for when something does happen, like maybe a, a beanstalk deck makes top eight or maybe something else or whatever like that. It's a cool story, right? Yeah. I think it's awesome. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, am I, am I too much of a trader for like wanting to play Murktide or wanting to play something different? And, and also like, should I just be playing scam? Um, the answer to the last question is the answer is almost certainly yes for basically everyone. Like if scam is a deck that you have reps with and games with and your singular goal in the tournament is to win the event, I think it's really hard to argue you should play anything other than scam. Um, But there are certainly other decks that you are allowed to play and that you can easily win the tournament with and winning is not the singular primary motivator for us going to these things. Uh, I'm I'm trying to make that my motivator. Like I, I very easily could have gone down a very dark rabbit hole with like mono black asmo reanimator or something and i i purposefully stopped myself because i was like no i need to like actually get some three-point victories on my matches you know what i mean listen man i told you a few weeks ago that i was open and trying to explore decks to play other than creativity and looking for a reason not to i also told you that i had plans last weekend and was not going to be able to play magic online so the ball was kind of in your court yep and, and then I, I, I asked you hey do i need to buy cards this week like end of last weekend so that i can like make sure that i have them in time and you're sending me screenshots of creativity leaks so i was doing my job you told me to play creativity i did i identified some weaknesses i made some changes that i think are pretty good and uh also uh I, I posted both my creativity list and the Merktide list in the Discord already. So before people ask for that, they're already there. Exciting. I think I saw you slip a chain to the rocks in there somewhere. Yeah, dude. You like that? I saw wow. that in, in uh, a ninth place list. And I was like, no, it's actually genius, right? Because I was playing Flame Slash. Yeah. And chain to the rocks actually kills Merktide. 
Yeah. And I was and like, I, oh, yeah, this is just not that bad. Yeah. What does uh, Flame Slash kill that Chain of the Rocks? Doesn't not much. We got yeah, plenty of mountains. It's like, yeah, I mean, no shortage of those. Uh, the, the downsides are, you know, maybe there is a turn where you are kind of like capped on colored sources or you drew like the mountain and a dwarven mine or something. So you have an abundance of red mana because you're always going to have red mana, right? Yep. Uh, so maybe that's a reason. Uh, but for the most part, it seems like you could weave in a chain of the rocks pretty easily. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. It can get leyline binding. They can kill it. It's probably not as good against things like burn, but um, I think it makes sense. Um, yeah. I think there's still some amount of debate between that and prismatic ending and being able to kill some planeswalkers and the likes. And um, But there's merits to all of them. No, that's fair. I am just more worried about a uh, big creature, whether it's like a scammed fury or something or a Merc Tide versus an opposing Ren and Six, because it doesn't feel like Ren and Six is all that popular right now. Yep, that's fair. It is terrifying to play against. I hate playing against it, but... Um, just kill them. I don't yeah. know, just uh, dress it on all of yours and their permanence. <laughs> Listen, this is I didn't say it was great. I said it's terrifying, right? So this is a this is a feeling more than an actual result. Ask ask Jason Ford how good Renin Six is. <laughs> he has ranted at me about this. I don't want to go there. It is great. Uh that that's a story for another time, maybe. Yeah. But uh yeah, I I think I did my work with creativity. I did the the best that I could uh to get it to where it is but uh in addition to like all the stuff i said to you just like spell pierce is not that good against like everyone right and one of the good things about creativity was like getting to play for spell pierce and actually wanting to play for spell pierce and i tried to get away from that a little bit and play like a couple reprieves or whatever and it's just it's like that card is <laughs> one of the the cards that is like really bad against Bowmaster and, and sort of scam in general, both because they can actually play sort of like a flash game with Bowmaster, but then also once they have a Bowmaster in play and you have no way to kill it, the reprieve is just pretty terrible. Yeah. So it's a like, reprieve, uh, it, I don't super awkward. Yeah. I don't think we can actually do that. And then it's like, oh, well, if we're cutting like a pierce because it's just bad and not playing any other stack interaction, then you get like that much worse against like Tron, Amulets, um, you know, four colored to some degree too. So yeah. Change the equation is a card that I've been moving back in the direction in favor of, um, especially with Merktide getting more popular, getting like a hard counter that can counter Blood Moon late into the game, I think is important. And it's less good at as Flusterstorm or Silence against the Cascade decks, but still acceptable. Um but obviously the awkward part is against Tron, it's not actually the counter spell that you need. Right. And also Change doesn't stop Murktide, which is one of the big things that they can stick against you that actually lives through. Does stuff. You know, all, yeah, almost all of your things, right? And like yep. flies through your tokens and everything. So like that's a problem. And also just talked about how two mana counter spells in that sort of matchup are not great. Like I don't want two counter two mana counter spells against Murktide when I'm playing Murktide and you're playing a clunkier deck, and you're, like, boarding into mana counter spells, and, like, I get it, you know? But it's, it's not exactly where I want to be. Yeah, I think you definitely board them in if you have them, but probably not a reason to play them. Yeah, it's just not a not a perfect solution, and I think there was a, a good long period of time 
where a lot of the cards in creativity lined up where it's like, oh yeah, like this this deck is just kind of perfect. Like Archon is good against stuff. Leyline Binding is good. Spell Pierce is good. And now it feels like a lot of those cards are just like pretty mid and you're just kind of like hoping it it works out. And, you know, again, four won some leagues, whatever, but really yeah. doesn't make that much of a difference when three of the decks I play against in every league, I'm literally never playing against in a big tournament. So, yeah, it feels like the formats still just scam and then 15 other decks that are all kind of like in a relatively similar spot of like you're doing a lot. They have a lot going well for them and they also have a good amount of flaws. Yeah, I will say that uh, Amulets I lost to with Murktide uh, online. I lost to it once with Creativity and then I also beat it once with Creativity. And then I lost to Amulet with Four Color in the North Carolina tournament. And that is that and Scam are like the two decks that I've been losing to the most with whatever deck I'm playing in Modern. Yep. And everything else is just kind of like, eh, whatever. Like the... The Murktide games I've played uh, with a bunch of different decks have been usually pretty close with me like edging them out, you know? Yeah, I've always kind of struggled in that matchup from the Murktide side, but relatively small sample size. Yeah. But hey, how many leagues did we drop before five rounds? I mean, not many, not many because I kept winning. Yeah. You know? We might have set a record this week for the number of leagues completed. Maybe. I did, before I started playing Merktide, I played one last one with the blue-red creativity deck, and I dropped it one, too. Yeah, well, that's not surprising. And that was the most recent one. Yeah. It, it felt so bad, too. Yeah, I'm sure that all the games were close, and you lost by a little bit each time. I just, I, I drew a bunch of cards... I cast some hard evidences, you know, and things just didn't go my way. I, I don't know what to, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah, just, shocking. Just, un, just unlucky. Shocking. Yeah, we'll we'll have to get a bigger sample size. I'm sure it was just variants. Yo, hard evidence is nice. I'm telling you. Yeah, it blocks like Ragavan. It blocks Ragavan, and people are only playing two of those now. Yeah. Well, uh, in Murktide maybe, but not in Scam. They're still playing four. Yeah. Do you think that's a trend that we might see go? go down in, in on the scam side? It's possible. Uh, like Seth did it at the Pro Tour. He played two main, two board. I think he was like one of the only people, but like certainly if he won the Pro Tour, that's what everyone would be doing. Yeah. It's funny how two or three rounds can really change everything. Um, I haven't seen a scam list with no fables and all season pyromancers in a while. Yeah. Same. Uh, granted, it wasn't just Jake doing that at the Pro Tour. It was a decent amount of people, but still. Well, I bet you that if the list that won the Pro Tour had Season Pyromancer in it, we would be in a very different place across yes, the entire no. format. I definitely agree with that, too. But it is what it is. Uh, all right. So right now, I'm I'm leaning on Murktide, but I got a couple days. And maybe I end up playing some very bad blue-black deck. I'm looking at, like, the, the ring decks right now because I'm like, this is a good subtlety deck, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got my Murktide cards and my uh, creativity deck packed up i'm going to intentionally and deliberately leave all of the black cards that might go in said blue black deck at home so that is not an option for me um well that's good for you but it's bad for me because mason clark stole my legacy deck which has all my watery graves and polluted deltas thief wow do i now need to bring mine to be to give you this option no also uh (laughs) 
Lorian Revealed is now $4 and Star City was sold out. So I couldn't Excuse order Excuse me? I, that card, my biggest frustration with that card is the spelling. It breaks every single deck list. Yeah. Like, I don't think that should be allowed. No, I agree. I mean, so they had the the ether thing, which is alt six five eight, I think. Hold on, let me let me check. Let me does this still work? Hold. Oh my god. I'm typing this in Discord. Alt six five eight. I remember this from back in the day. Looks right. And they eventually did away with that. This was into the ether? Like ether flash, just or like, burst. What 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 it yeah, was the ether, one ether the one I'm thinking of is one in a blue bounce. Yeah, ether burst. Yeah. Yeah. Hold alt type six five eight release and it'll give you the AE thing. And they change that to just uh we're gonna type out AE. Yeah. Uh, and I approve. Do that. Um uh, but I don't know, for for the universes beyond stuff where stuff is like very carefully punctuated or whatever, you kinda have to, I guess, but maybe that's a reason to not do universes beyond. Yeah, I would say just pick a different name. But it's a, it's a card that is maybe relevant to the lore. Yeah. You think you'll play in a pre-release this weekend? God, no. No? No, absolutely not. No draft? No. I might, we might, might need some wiggle room there. I mean, I, I'm not going to join up to draft with a bunch of randos or whatever. Also, we're leaving Sunday night. Sure. Right. But we get there Friday afternoon, right? So I, I could see a Friday afternoon draft. I'm pretty sure I get in Friday super late. Really? I thought you booked a similar time as me. This is now I'm going to be maybe I'll go draft by myself. Well, now the the problem is, is that I have way too many flights booked to too many places. OK, I think I land is, at 430 on Friday. Yeah, I couldn't find a flight that did. So I get in at midnight. Oh, brutal. OK, I, I think the that flight from Richmond to Columbus was like 200 bucks. So it was like, it was way too good. Yeah. And then the other ones were like 550 or something. So I wasn't, I wasn't going to do that. Not messing with it. So drafts are unlikely, but not impossible. Look, if you want to get like a a 2v2 or 3v3 with people I actually like, Godspeed, I, I think that that might be impossible, but I would be down potentially. Listen, I, there's like some momentum about people showing up to this. And like each event I've gone to over the last six months, like more and more people that I know directly or indirectly are talking about going. So I'm excited about this stuff. I I could see a world where we actually have a team draft at some point. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Vegas seems the most likely, honestly, because... Come on, don't rub it in. I'm just saying, I'm uh, flying to Phoenix and driving with Chase and Costa. I'm immeasurably jealous. I'm 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 jealous of myself. I'm so happy. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because those Vegas flights were horrible. And flying to Phoenix was another one of those randomly $200 flights, so. Jealous. Yeah, I mean that's that's 3 in the queue. We got your brother probably going, right? That's 4. He's close. He's teetering on the edge, but uh, uh, okay. My marriage is teetering on the edge with that too. So I I think I'm home for Vegas. Yeah, I mean I'm not I'm not necessarily trying to twist your arm, you know. I'm not. I'm not telling you you should go. But uh, listen, I I could tell the wife my boss told me that I needed to attend. I don't know what that means, but you should probably <laughs> not do that. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Nah, you should only you should only go if you could like also bring them and make it a vacation somehow and have it not be bad. 
Yeah. No, it's in Las Vegas. So. And she hates Las Vegas with like an undying passion. Smart. So even if there was like a situation or a circumstance with like a place that she would like and a concert that she would love and all of the right things lined up, the fact that it was in Vegas would still make it like out of principle, not an option. So actually, the people who originally convinced me or like tried to convince me to go to Vegas were Pelkak and T-Bulge. And I have not heard from them. Interesting. But I mean, that would, that would be six in the queue with your brother. Whoa. Just saying. We're getting close. And that would be, that would be quite the draft. You know, that's like, that's mixing some friend groups and I don't, I don't know if yeah. this is going to work out or not. That would have been like, I guess like Chase and Costa are a little bit younger, but like that could have easily been a draft in 2004. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying is like, they're a, from like a little bit of a different era, you know? Yeah. So. It'll be interesting. I don't know if they're going. I, I keep thinking about like texting them and figuring out, but. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. I got too much on my docket, man. I'm I'm going to be busy. I'm going to be going places. It's exciting. Magic. Are you signed up? Yeah. Yeah, I signed up. Did you make the first one or the second one? I don't know. Oh, I don't actually know the details of this because I'm not exploring. But um, yeah, just, my understanding just, is the first flight fi- sold out and now they're on to the second one. Oh, uh, mine just says Las Vegas, 100K, limited open. You're in. So I don't I don't know which one. <laughs> I don't know where they're putting me, but so, it's like I bought something. So, so maybe we need to do a draft this weekend to start exploring this limited format. Oh, is it going to be this format? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's, it's a month wild. from now, right? Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I didn't. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe Baldur's Gate 4 is coming out. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe we explore the draft format a little bit. That might be a fun little exercise and break from modern after this. No, I'm down to do that because I'll I'll just draft on arena on my phone, no matter yeah. what. So anything that keeps me away from the arena cube. Yeah, dude, just just stop with the cubes. I mean, I know it won you two thousand dollars. So well, listen, I I like the vintage cube. Just the arena cube, I find is pure torture. Yeah, there's just not not a lot of cards on arena. So. <laughs> There's uh, a lot of five drops, I can tell you that. Oh, yeah. You, you did have a lot of fives, but yeah, that's those are like all the mythics, right? So, yeah. What yeah. are you going to do? Anyway, that's it. We're done. Game, etc. Good luck.